You're listening to episode 284 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at the third season of the Netflix science fiction series, Travelers. And you got a somewhat unexpected day off today, huh? Yeah, I did not think we were going to be off. I mean, we have a delay tomorrow already, too. So. Wow. Yeah. But that's interesting because new superintendent, I, I guess he's watching out for the kids as well as the teachers, giving you some heads up so you can make your plans. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's pretty yeah. nice. Yeah. So I think you'll be going in, though, two hours. I'm later. pretty sure, yeah. So. I was I was surprised to see that they called it two hours already because, I mean, you know, I guess things to the southwest got a little bit worse than did here, but, uh, you know, it wasn't that bad here. You know, like I was kind of surprised we were off today. Yeah. But you'll take it, as they say. I will take it, indeed. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, speaking of taking it, we'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, give it to us. Emails, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Go to the website, leave a voicemail if you want. Record your own audio clip the way Fred does. Tweet us at sci-fi TV rewatch or consider joining the Facebook group and get into the discussions there. Or, as I usually forget to say, do all of the above. Yep. Or you can um, send a program into a young kid and have them find us. That would be good. And then I'd have another use for my iPad. Right. So. <laughs> Besides uh, like a bookmark or something. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I actually use my iPad a lot. I, yeah. I, uh, I stopped getting a daily hard copy of the newspaper and, and just pay, you know, a monthly fee and, and now just read it all online. And that, that's one of the things I use my iPad for every day. So cool. among other things. All right. Um, I'll let you go first with a tip of the week. If you've got, if you got one, I do. Um, so this is not a new thing, but it's a show that <clears throat> I had watched two of its three seasons uh, before, but was unable to watch the third because I was watching on like sci-fi channel. They didn't have season three, but now Netflix has all three seasons of the almighty Johnson's. Oh yeah. I remember. Yeah. And, uh, so do a little rewatch of seasons one and two. And I think, uh, if I get a chance to get a crack at the TV tonight, I might actually be able to watch at least the first episode of season three, which is very exciting. But yeah, it's such a great show. It's uh, you know, it doesn't take itself too seriously, so it's you know, it's very very funny. <clears throat> you know, it's a family of it's four four men who are all brothers, and the first episode, the youngest of them, it turns twenty one, and he discovers that he is actually a Norse god, as are his brothers, and he is Odin, and then there's also goddesses who they don't really get along with so much, but sometimes they do um, as well. And so it turns out that he has to find uh, the Frigg, who is the, you know, Odin's wife in Norse mythology, one of them. If he gets together with the Frigg, then all the gods will be able to get their full powers. So it's just like the goofiest actual notion. How the people who made this show pitched it and succeeded i don't know but it's great it's it's completely crazy it's funny the actors are really super likable um <clears throat> you know it's got violence it's got sex it's got humor just all around great show i'm really loving 
the uh, the rewatch and excited to finally be able to see season three now. Cool. I, I remember when we were talking about it several years ago, and I did see the first two seasons. They, they are short seasons, if I recall correctly, only like about six episodes. No, the first one I think is ten. The oh. second one is thirteen. Oh wow! I'm and uh, I don't know how many the last one is because I haven't seen it. Yet. Okay. All right. Cool. All right, well, speaking of short seasons, and obviously I was wrong about the Almighty Johnsons, but my well, tip short. Yeah, right. Now, my tip of the week is a show that I'm sure is popping up on your Netflix homepage, and that's the Australian spy thriller Pine Gap. I don't know if you've seen it pop up at all of new no, releases. Sex education keeps popping up, so I might need to go and check what my kids have been watching. Well, you know, sex education, I, I, I finally because all I've seen is, you know, the little 45 second blurb that, uh, pops up on Netflix. That's Jillian Anderson. Oh, I, uh, I, I thought that they looked familiar. Well, I, it was the voice that I, that finally registered with me. Yeah. All right. But anyway, back to Pine Gap. Pine Gap is a joint U S Australian endeavor located in the outskirts of the Australian outback. And Pine Gap is one of the three major listening posts throughout the world pine gap is a real thing so from pine gap they monitor everything and i mean everything from phone calls to texts to missile launches they uh they can send drone strikes from pine gap it is you know again one of the major listening posts that the U.S. Intelligence Service employs. And this one is an Australian-U.S. partnership, although, as you might imagine, the U.S. tends to want to uh, you know, pull most of the strings. There's only six episodes in the first season. We're still waiting to find out whether there's going to be a second season. But it's really good. I mean, it explores the human and emotional cost of living this life because they can't tell anybody what they really do and while you know one of the you know guys that's really high up his wife at least knows that he's in a an executive position at pine gap she really has no idea what he does the others that work on the floor with you know headphones doing the listening they have to tell everybody yes they work at pine gap but they're gardeners now (laughs) I'm not sure why nobody ever asks them why they don't have dirt under their fingernails, but, uh, you know, that's a, in fact, they bust them in every day. And I don't know if you've ever seen any of these documentaries about area 51, but the U S employees, the department of defense employees that work at area 51, they fly them in, I believe from Las Vegas every day. Really? Yeah. So yeah, you, you can't, you can't drive there. So, Pine Gap, six episodes. If you're into spy thriller kind of stuff, it was actually pretty good. I, I, I was, I don't want to say surprised, but I definitely enjoyed it. So, okay. So have you watched Bandersnatch yet? I have not. And I don't Dude. know. I, I, I've, <laughs> I've almost started it a, a few times and the 90 minutes is somewhat daunting at this point. So I don't, yeah, yeah. I mean, 90 minutes and then the realization that I have to do it again and make different choices. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you, if, if it goes 90 minutes, then you've like restarted a couple of times. Oh, okay. Then it doesn't take you necessarily all the way back. It just takes you back to the, the big significant decision that you made that 
you know, you need to go another direction. So I told you last week that there's a part where you have to type in a phone number, right? Yeah. So my wife and I watched it last night. She didn't like it, which I was disappointed in that, but you know, whatever. So we get to the point where you punch in the phone number and the last time, like I got the first four numbers, but the last one is the one you kind of got to like pay attention for. And she got the last number. I went to punch it in, but I like went too far and I punched in the wrong number. I was so mad. I'm like, oh, I finally got to the phone number part again. And I screwed it up again, even though my wife told me the right last number to punch in. Yeah, well, well, so mad. Well, I'll tell you, it's obviously it's, uh, I don't want to say a battle, but, but there are certainly, shows that i watch that i wish my wife would give them a chance and she watched about four or five episodes of travelers and then it fell by the wayside i've been trying to trying to get her to watch continuum as i do my rewatch she's like oh you know time travel i'm like oh oh but time travel's okay with outlander right (laughs) and her answer was yeah it is yeah what's your point yeah are you with logic like that so no i'm not Right. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, let's go ahead and talk about Travelers. Yeah, let's do that. Episode five of season three titled Naomi, written by Ashley Park, who wrote episode 112 Grace, 208-0027, directed by Amanda Tapping. And this is her seventh episode from season three. She directed 304 Perot. So uh, first thoughts, uh, the guest star, I, again, I, I didn't make the connection. I had to look her up. Tasia Tellus. Yep, I knew that's what the one you were gonna say. Right. So she plays Traveler Zero Zero Nine, the programmer that that the director sends, and she is of course Echo in the Hundred, and yeah. and is uh, just a fascinating character in the Hundred for sure. And I which is, is yeah, it's weird because I guess like you, like I saw her, I'm like I know that I know that who who that like I know I know her, but just wasn't sure how. And I looked up and said, oh, it's Echo. Oh, okay. Now now you see it. Well, I keep seeing this thing on my Facebook feed about a British police show that's on BritBox, which, of course, I don't have. And I'm thinking, like, where do I know her from? Where do I know her? So I finally looked it up on IMDb, and it's Alfred's mother in Vikings. So that's where I know her from. No. Okay. So, all right. Anyway, uh. Naomi. Yes. As I've said some times before, I really did not like the early editing, jumping from scene to scene without any time. And when I say any time, I mean, they're literally spending like 12 seconds before jumping to another scene. And and I understand sometimes they're trying to do that to increase the tension or you know, just give us a feeling of movement, but it just didn't really work for me. Fortunately, it didn't last all that long. And, and the episode fell into a more comfortable rhythm, at least for me. But, you know, as I did my rewatch, this episode seems to be setting the groundwork for the reality that protocol five is going to make up the bulk of most of the team's time in the 21st century. You know, that that they're not constantly going to be doing missions, that most of their time is going to be spent... Uh, living their lives. Living their lives. And this episode, for me, sort of drove that home, because when I, when I did the first watch and was taking my notes, I thought, all right, it was a pretty good episode. 
you know, B, B plus. I mean, I don't know if you've thought about letter grade yet. I, I was thinking somewhere in the low end A's, high end B's, probably more, more high end B's. I think that's, that's, where, that's my starting point. I, I, as usual, I figured we'd, after we talked it out, I, I'd settle on a, a final grade. So. Okay. So we're, we're both in the, in the same ballpark and, you know, Kat is obviously struggling with these visions and in, in a way, Naomi's doing the same. But the other thing that comes up pretty much over the whole episode, but they certainly address it in, in a couple specific places, that the acknowledgement that the director has flaws and much to Grace's horror actually can make mistakes. Yeah. And while we've seen misfires before, I thought using children as messengers is supposed to be safe i mean have they crossed a line here using uh, children and having right. this happen i was thinking that it, it had something to do with the length of time that naomi had the messenger inside of her you know like normally it's just really quickly the kids go up deliver a message boom they're done but she had to sit there for a while and was doing some pretty complex stuff so i kind of chalked it up to that Okay, but the director knew what it was doing. It knew it was sending this complex set of instructions through this child messenger. Right. And yet this was the outcome. So whether the program was faulty and Grace or any other director apologist would say, no, it just, you know, it wasn't the director's fault. It was just a flaw. It was just this. It was just that. But... The whole idea of using children, and we've talked about this during the six and a half years of the podcast, anytime you put children in danger, you run a risk of turning off you know, yeah. a certain number of your fans. And right. while this wasn't you know, a horrific situation and they did deal with it successfully, it makes us go back and question the director and the director's motives. And of course, we can't forget that the director's a machine the director's an ai right well and i think there's been some scuttlebutt if i if i see it correctly about this being a loop and you mentioned it as well i mean did the director send the ai back into the kid so she could bite trev who would then get the ai put back into ilsa to create the director and that's maybe the most significant aspect of this episode that right. the director combined with ilsa via the child messenger well actually you know via trev is this the genesis for the director as we know the director and i think at this point in the series that's a you know certainly a, a i think a viable thing to consider so now the other thing has to do with Catherine and Mac, and we're going to look at all these in, in more detail. Is she going to ex accept the story that Mac has presented her? And Fred brings that up in his feedback, so I'll, I'll you know, wait a little bit on that. But you know, we get to the end of the episode, and Mac pulls out his iPad and it presents Catherine with a logical explanation for why she feels the way she does, but. Is she going to accept this? And and I think one of the fascinating things about Catherine and Mac is the fact that 
you know, unlike Jeff, and, and, and Jeff is right to think all of these things, and he has remembered, and he has pieced together, and of course, we know he's been uh, taken over as a traveler now, but but even but before that, you know, Catherine knows she's on to something. She can't quite put her finger on it. So I'd hate to lose that aspect of the story and have her just say, oh, you're right, Grant. Let's think about buying that condo we were talking about or the apartment right. or whatever it was. But she, you know, she jumps him at the end of the episode. So I think, at least for now, you can almost see like they show, you know, the reverse shot in Grant's face. And it's almost like Ferris Bueller. He's like, they bought it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, but he, I mean, he doesn't look like self-satisfied. He looks more concerned, obviously, but, but still it, it does seem like she, I mean, she was just looking for Grant to give her some kind of logical reason why she was feeling the way she was feeling. And in the absence of that, she just then gave greater credence to these feelings that she had. Uh, now he finally provides her for an out and a chance for her to, to think that the world is all good again, but yeah, will that remain? And yeah, I mean, the, the way it's been with her, it, it seems hard to believe that, you know, she's going to remain blissfully ignorant of what's going on. Well, yeah, and, and clearly she's an intelligent woman, but I also wonder whether her creative side, which we know is a large part of her life, is it that creative side that won't let go of of this nagging thought that there's something more there. I just don't know what it is yet. So it'll be interesting to see how the writers handle this. Now, the last thing before we get into the episode, when Philip first notices that something's wrong with Trevor, he's working on something. It looks like he's assembling a face or something. And I, I meant to go back and look at it again because I've noticed it now three times. I I don't know if it's important. It probably isn't, but I did notice it. And that said, I really love the Trevor Philip dynamic and the friendship that's going on. Philip, we don't see a lot of development with him in this episode, but we certainly see a lot of great one-liners. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite is... Uh, Oh, dude, sorry for punching you in the face. I don't remember that. Oh, never mind. Yeah, don't worry about that. So now the opening scene, Trevor has gotten Philip to go out jogging. And while it's certainly nice to see the two of them in a normal activity and the fact that Philip feels he's being tortured by exercise, the other thing that comes out of this scene is that line, not everyone has a part to play in the grand plan. And that can kind of get lost in, you know, Philip saying, well, look, dude, I don't remember everything much, you know, to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you know, the prevailing wisdom that historians do re- recall everything, but not everybody has a part to play in the grand plan. And uh, is he referring to other travelers? I mean, that would seem sort of counterintuitive that, well, yeah, I think this comes up because Trevor mentions how uh, Gary's mother had died, father. Yeah, one of the two. One of them. Yeah. Um, and and then suggested that Philip knew that it was coming, and he's like, "Well, no, you know, like not everyone is is you know is going to be significant to 
you know, what the director is, is trying to get done. So I don't, he's, I'm not omniscient. I don't know everything. Yeah. And it's interesting because that's at the point in continuum on my rewatch and I forget who brings it up, but you know, you can kill a thousand people and it's not really going to change anything. But if you take one person who's really important to societal scientific historical development that one person will have a significant change you know like uh, kagami refers to it as a tsunami will hit and it's i I took sort of the same idea away from this comment that not everybody has a part to play in the grand plan obviously some more than others now, the main story is obviously Naomi and this emerging AI that gets into her head. And, dude, number one, this is why I never took field trips. Yeah, So right, right. As Earl Weaver said, three things can happen and two of them are bad. Yeah. And an emergency evacuation, definitely bad. Yeah. And then your one kid, um, you know. Wanders off. Wanders off and starts banging away on the computers in the nuclear facility, which again, sometimes you just in this world of the travelers, I'm just still astonished by the complete lack of security that's occurring. Like some little kid just wanders into the main control room, pulls out of the laptop and starts banging away on the, on the laptop in the middle of a major, you know, threat. Um, really? Well, oh yeah, another really, and I was going to get to it later when it happens, but when Naomi's father brings in the priest to conduct an exorcism, yeah. well, you know, I'm, I'm Catholic, I'm not a hardcore Catholic, but, uh, you know, and I know you are as well, but I think we both know, as do most people, that you don't just call up the local priest and say, hey, you know, my daughter, I need an exorcism, can you come over? Yeah. Well, I think that I don't know. Maybe if I called you know the, my parish priest and say, "Hey, could you do an exorcism?" He'd be like, "Sure." <laughs> do them all the time. Oh, I guess. But you know, so we we never really. I I don't know if we find out the name of the terrorist group that has orchestrated, uh, you know, th- this takeover. Was, uh, liberate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but it got me to thinking as well. In, in terms of travelers' missions, I mean, we know back from season one, they were trying to stop Helios from hitting Earth and, again, really causing a major catastrophe. And while 90,000 people is significant, I'm not sure the deaths of 90,000 people as a result of this nuclear power plant disaster is really going to impact the greater whole. Now, maybe it's something that will lead to a reexamination of nuclear power in the United States, and it's the catalyst for closing down power plants all across the country. Maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe it's something like that. But I, I but wonder we'll never why. Know, though, well, I, I just want it. right. I mean, I wonder why the director got involved. Right. Well, I mean, it, apparently, it was significant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, when she starts reciting these seemingly random and meaningless number sequence, we have a pretty good idea of 
what's going on here, that, that it's something to do with the director. And, and I mean, we figured that out before when she starts typing away, as you said, furiously right. on the keyboard. But we learn that basically what we've got here is a corrupted messenger. And again, Fred brings up Grace in his feedback and her character. You know, I, I get the idea that Fred's he's he's pretty much at the end of his rope with grace and her attitude. (laughs) And you know, I understand that. And if it wasn't for Jennifer Spence, I mean, she's just wonderful. And I'm able to look past that, I guess for now. And and I'll talk more about that when we listen to Fred's feedback, but (laughs) they plan to offer grace's help. And who was it that had given the advice to grace? Just don't talk. Oh, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, so whether it was it Carly. Like Mac. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, but she determines that the script never completed and, you know, whips out her iPad and has the little girl look at it for 20 seconds. That seems to do the trick. But in addition to her antisocial behaviors, and this is something that, that continues to bother me, the, the either inability or unwillingness to get a handle on yourself. You know, maybe these behaviors were okay back in whatever future you've come from. But if you don't understand, because everybody else has figured out how to adapt and cope in the 21st century. So whether 0027 just has a severe personality disorder, which is possible, yeah, yeah, I think they kind of established early on that she's, and, and again, I'm, I'm not going to generalize about you know computer programmers or anything, but she's more comfortable, you know, on a, a keyboard than she is interacting with humans, right? And she has a tough time. She's doesn't really necessarily know how to behave socially. You know, I think she's just the type of person that's been you know is is really just more more happy with like working on her own and not really being involved with other people yeah and we've got a character like that in pine gap the series i was referring to in my uh, pick of the week but you know we've seen her sensitivity anytime someone criticizes the director and I, i guess it goes back to the fact that she had a hand in programming the director and has this relationship with the director in fact in this episode she's i don't want to say hurt or appalled but but she is taken aback that essentially the director won't talk to her yeah i think hurt's a good word for it she looks really upset you know and on the one hand i thought well good you know maybe that will calm you down a bit i mean of course it won't but the idea of why the director had to resort to a messenger rather than a team to prevent this overload and i think it was grace that says well maybe he did and they failed right well failed how i mean if we know historically when this was supposed to occur wouldn't the team be right there now do you remember when when that scene starts and there's two guys and they're trying to get through and the guards for the facility won't let them 
Oh, no, I didn't catch and, that. And they say something like, you know, we're supposed to be here. We're, I forget the exact words. I wonder if that was a traveler team. Yeah. And I thought, well, if you're the traveler team, you didn't really try very hard. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, yeah, and also how come like the guards are like that, you know, with it at that point, but then yet let, you know, a little kid just walk into the main control room again. Right. So. right. Now, uh, you know, we mentioned the father calling the priest and aside from the fact that you're not going to get a priest to come over and perform an exorcism that quickly but isn't that a bit extreme a reaction for the father to take uh i I think this was just a a chance for maybe the writers to kind of express their um thoughts about religion or something like that you know because yeah it seemed like you see it and grace says it and we all think it it's you know like you know oh for f's sake you know like that's like because it does seem a very silly step to take you know i think there's probably a lot of things i would you know a lot of steps i would take before i would you know go with exorcism whereas a demon inside of her is being the reason why she's doing what she's doing right. and she's not like spouting like you know like if she were like spouting like like stuff and like latin or something okay maybe this isn't linda blair maybe we got a demon but uh you know she's just saying numbers so you know I'm right thinking. And, well and what we find out is that it's a highly sophisticated ai almost an emerging consciousness and, and of course this is where things start going sideways and the father refuses treatment and oh mom's a traveler herself and we understand why you know, she didn't let anybody know. She calls on protocol six, which is certainly the right call to make. And she says, oh, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll handle my husband when he wakes up. But for me, what comes out of this scene is that she really cares about her daughter, just like yes. Carly. Yes, and, absolutely. Yeah. And we go back to protocol five again, living the life of your host and these people just making these bonds. Now, whether she's bonded with her husband, we don't know. Maybe that's perfunctory. I mean, certainly we see Mac has really developed feelings for Catherine, or so we're mm-hmm. led to believe. But yeah, I really did like this. But it does start to get confusing here. What we, you know, when they're throwing out all of this technical lingo, and and I thought particularly uh, when. Echo, I forget the 009, I think it is, uh, the the, uh, programmer that's sent. And she starts spouting off all this stuff. And I thought, wow, you know, people talk about actors and how it's not that hard. And like, no, you know, some of of this dialogue in a show like Travelers, it is really difficult. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me when Michael and I got to interview Lexa Doig one time and, and in like four or five different shows, she plays a doctor. And I thought that was fascinating. She says, well, I don't know, but I am able to memorize and deliver technical lingo pretty easily, even though I have no idea what most of it means. Right. So, uh, you know, this was fascinating, but the messenger AI had a self-learning protocol in order to combat potential countermeasures in real time. And I'm thinking like, okay, I know what that means, but 
what countermeasures? I, 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 I just don't. I don't understand what the director was really thinking here, using this level of complexity to stop this power plant from blowing up. Right. So you know, and Grace is like, "Wow, it was brilliant. It just took too long." Well, okay, but it continues to learn. It's developed a level of sophistication beyond the director's intention. And I, do I even need to say it again? Skynet. Skynet. Yeah. Right. And I'll kind of talk about this with the French feedback. So I, I, sometimes with travelers, I think you just kind of got to roll with it. You know, it's like in Doctor Who. Like you can't like think too much about you know, what the actual quote unquote science of it is. Um, you just kind of got to, you know, just kind of <laughs> just let it go and just say, okay, all right. I get it. They, they, this, some bad happened and they solved it this way. All right, good. Let's, let's go. Well, well, yeah. And in this case, we understand machines being able to learn, but and again, I think it's 009 that says it's making a choice. It needs human beings to make the moral and ethical decisions outside the scope of its own programming. That's how we built it. So correct me if I'm wrong, but she's saying that you need to control the AI from a moral and ethical standpoint. And I'm thinking, and you really think it's going to let the humans do that if it right. truly believes the decision it's making is the correct one now i don't know about you but when i saw naomi bite trevor i thought okay you know we we've been down this before whether it's yeah. with vampires zombies right <laughs> virus whatever something's gonna gonna happen and and of course it does and but my question, Dave, is why didn't anyone else think that? I know they're busy and they probably don't get to watch a lot of science fiction shows. But this is science fiction genre 101. It is. You know, like you get bit and something bad's going to happen to you. But everyone's just like, eh, no biggie. Yeah. The well, AI-affected well, girl bites. You know? Right. And, but it goes back to what you said a few minutes ago. Sometimes you just have to roll with it. And, uh, okay, I, I understand, you know, the, the transmission of fluids. I mean, how, how many times have we heard that in our society in the last 40 or 50 years? Yeah. And, but here we're talking about nanites, and I, I guess I should just accept that because we've seen Marcy uh, inject nanites into how many different people's systems over the three seasons. So, sure. you know, I guess, but... The fact that the director won't communicate with Grace, has the director lost confidence in her? Well, tell him that she told Trevor to give her a big hug. That was nice. Well, did it? Or is that something Trevor did on his own? That's a good point. Yeah, yeah, I thought that too. I think he actually, it, you know, I think that the, the, the director actually did you know, tell Trevor to, to give her a hug. Okay. See, to me, that seems outside of the scope of the director. That that goes back to you know the whole idea of depending on the humans to provide the moral and the ethical decisions, and that 
Trevor knows grace at this point. I mean, aside from the fact that he knows grace is, has a certain attraction for his host body and, and uh, they apparently still haven't tried out their younger bodies yet. At least that, huh. uh, at least that we know of. Doesn't seem like right. Yeah. But uh, uh, Philip comes back to the garage. He's got food for the two of them. Want me to cut yours into small pieces, old man? <laughs> maybe, yeah. my, maybe my favorite line in the episode. That yeah. was just, that, that was, was just good. great. But yeah. then, of course, he experiences some kind of brain freeze. And we wonder, is this some sort of time travel, consciousness jumping, dementia that, I mean, I mean, we've taken for granted the fact that the consciousness doesn't necessarily wear out the way the body does right but yeah maybe it does yeah true well and also um you know trevor does remind us in the beginning of the episode how old he is right because when philip is complaining about the exercising you know trevor basically says this this isn't torture this is you know you should be rejoicing in your ability to to be able to to go on a run yeah. Yeah. Right. Because like I'm, he's, he says, when you've been so old that, you know, the slightest bump can break your bones, you know, like then that would, you would learn to appreciate this. Right. And, and I guess what confuses me about that statement is that once he's in the body of 18 year old ex quarterback, Trevor Holden, does he really need to worry about brittle bones or is he referring maybe way back before he had his first transfer? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, yeah. he's definitely talking about way back and how the fact that now he's, he appreciates, you know, the ability, well, it's just like they say, uh, you know, youth is wasted on the young, you know, and like if you know, you had a chance to be 18 years old again in your 18 year old body, there's probably, choices that we'd make that are different than the ones we made the first time around you know yeah yeah good point so uh, why don't we take a look at david's continued transition into marcy's world and you know we, we talked last time about the implant that she's given him and it enables her to monitor what it is he's doing and there's a lot we could say just about that but she follows him as he's going to buy a gun. And of course they, they, with the dialogue and, and it was cute. It was humorous. You know, it's like, wow, this is big. Well, you know what they say about size. It's not, a, you know, <laughs> yeah. and that's fine. And the cheeky gun store attendants. But, but I don't know if you noticed Marcy doesn't really react to that. And, you know, we've seen her, in a lot of situations where that sort of dialogue just kind of goes over her head because she doesn't have that experience. And then she still doesn't really know what it is he's in there. And then when they mention caliber, then she knows what's going on. So I thought that was pretty, pretty fun, but she comes home, finds David cleaning the loaded gun he just bought. And I love her challenge. Pull the gun, pull the trigger on me, and if I can get it away from you, then I get rid of it. You know, we talked about David and his new attitude of standing up for himself, and I really liked. You know, he tells her, "It's like you know, you're just cutting off my balls and putting them in your purse." It's like, 
No, stop controlling me. Right? I'm, I'm yeah. not an idiot. Well, I can be but, taught. But he is an idiot, though. Well, I know what you're saying. You know, like, I mean, he's not an idiot, um, but I'm saying he's, you know, like the idea that now he wants to be like some action hero, you know? So, yeah, it's great. You're exercising. That's fantastic. You go and try and take on a, a gang. Not fantastic. That's stupid. Um, now you're buying a gun. Again, stupid. You're not, that's not you, David. Just because your girlfriend has a job where, you know, like that, you know, he says she's cutting off his balls, but there's no reason for him to be emasculated and threatened by Marcy and her having a more like, you know, a cooler job, I guess is the way to put it. You know, like in this, so this, he's really got to get over himself because he really like cleaning a gun that's loaded that, I mean, people die that way. You know, that's like, that's so basic and stupid and just shows you he's such like a complete duffer when it comes to, you know, any of this type of stuff. He's just out of his league. Now, yes, he can learn, but there's no need to learn. You know, you like, just well, you, you're you're good as you are, David. Like exercise, yes. Stop trying to be a, a guardian angel. No, stop that. Okay, of course you could argue he's in more danger just knowing her. But uh, your point's well taken, and and I just think she's not as bad as Grace, but she doesn't really grasp how her attitude about things with David affects him. That that while she's right in what she says. I think she could say it a little bit differently. Now you might say, and you'd be right that my God, this is a loaded gun that he looked down the barrel. Now I think at that point she had already taken the clip out, but still right. the point is you don't do it anytime ever. ever. Right. Ever. ever. Right. Ever, ever. Right. Now we talked a little bit about the uneasy piece between Mac and Catherine at the beginning. And I love grace. You know, if you want to talk, I am a licensed counselor. Grant just looks at her like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) But that uneasy morning conversation, is this the morning after the last episode? I mean, it seems to be. Yes, because he he does mention directly how she, you know, took off and went to the bedroom right right away. And was pretending to be asleep and and that whole idea that she's afraid of him. And, you know, I know he needed to get out of the therapy session because he got a call but you know that's again something that they've gone to that well too many times he doesn't always have to be there there's other members of the team and i know he's in charge he's the boss that said he could have handled his exit a bit differently i'm not sure how because his his phone didn't ring it didn't vibrate it you know he didn't get a text so I'm not sure how he could have gotten out of that gracefully. But, you know, I, I feel like he, rev- like he's not totally unjustified in what he says there though. Well, you know, yeah. like basically like I'm not, what am I doing now? Obviously he knows that he is, there's good reason why Kat doesn't feel safe around him, but she doesn't really have, and I've, I've said this before, she doesn't have like actual logical, reasonable reasons for being afraid of, of Grant. It's uh, just other uh, than uh, missing memories, but it's like, did he cause his memories to go missing? It's like, you know, it just, 
it, it doesn't make sense, you know, and it's kind of illogical, irrational, her distrust of her husband. I, I, I agree with him. Like, it's, it's crazy that she doesn't trust him and, and he has every right. And so even though, yeah, he says that to kind of get out of it so he can go be with his team, I think he's revealing some, you know, some definite truths there as well. Yeah. Now you mentioned last time that the chance to see Jeff in a different light is kind of refreshing. And I would agree with you. He brings Carly breakfast from a McDonald's type restaurant. Yeah. You know, three kinds of food on a muffin from England. Yeah. <laughs> like, and at that point, she's still got an attitude and we get that. But he tells her he needs her help lets her know that she did her best to ensure that Jeff was taken as a host. And I thought, all right, wait a minute. What does that mean? So we go back to that scene where they've all got their guns pointed at Jeff in the street. It seems to imply that because she was about to kill him, the director sent a consciousness into his body. Well, I think it's not that she was about to, but she she did in the original timeline. At that point, the timeline is she does kill him. So the director sends back a, a, a traveler to, you know, because he's going to die. Like, they don't take people who are going to potentially die. They take people who die right okay. before that happens. Okay, but don't we see both of them lying dead yes. in, in Philip's vision? So clearly in the, the original timeline, they both shot so then why up. why wasn't she overwritten? Is that simply because she you wouldn't need, need to, to be? Yeah, she wouldn't need to be. Okay. All right. Uh, but it did get me to thinking other travelers have been killed, haven't they? I mean. Yeah. It got me to thinking. They, I mean, clearly they have. So it does happen. I mean, why hasn't the director overwritten them? Have they played their part in the grand plan and they're no longer needed? I suppose. But he, he needs information about Jeff. And, and that, I think, you know, sends a signal to Carly that, you know what, he's right. I do need to help him so that he can be believable as Jeff. And we get that scene when he's in his car. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. He's he's, he's pouring that whiskey right. or whatever it is in the cup. And then he spits it back into the <laughs> cup. Yeah. Oh, okay. I see what he's doing here. Yeah, yeah, but you're you're absolutely right. At first, we're like, "Oh no!" Did like because I mean, we know that uh, Philip inherited uh, his drug uh, addiction from his host, and so it's entirely likely that uh, this new guy could have, you know, inherited the you know Jeff's alcoholism. Uh, but uh, but yeah, but that wasn't you know they, we were concerned there for a moment, and they spitzed out. And uh, then goes in acting very much like old Jeff, which right. was kind of fun to see. Right. And I mean, he goes to that group meeting and I think our first assumption is that it's related to either anger, alcohol or both. But of course, it turns out to be traveler conspiracy nuts. Yeah. <laughs> and while the word about the traveler's is out there to a certain extent it, you know we're still not exactly sure how common knowledge it actually is but i guess just like ufos there are people that believe people that think it's all you know hogwash whatever but 
we do get that nice little exchange when Carly gives him a sniper's rifle and some cash and even offers a little bit of an olive branch mentioning that maybe they'll work together sometime. And I I just really love this because it's difficult for both of them. I mean, she realizes now there's no reason to hate this man, but, but she, you know, viscerally uh, she can't get over the fact of, how much she hates Jeff. Right. And that's perfectly understandable. Yeah. So, uh, anything else you want to bring up about anything that we've talked about? Uh, something we forgot. I know I'm going to sound stupid. Have we heard Ilsa's voice before, but was it a, a female voice? All right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because we, we heard her ask Teslia, would she like right, to play right, a game right, of right, chess right. or whatever? Yes, 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 yes. But now it's a, a dude's voice. Right. Oh, you're right. Huh, good point. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So, all right, anything else? Um, No. Okay. All right, well, let's listen to what Fred has to say about episode five of season three. Hello, Dave and Wayne. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Travelers, season three, episode five. First off, last time I had the fragment of the interview with Eric McCormack, about binging and Netflix. A very nice Facebook group discussion followed with Dark Crabtree, you Dave, and mainly with David Hayworth. Okay, about the episode, Grace was marvelous again. The doctor said she was fine. This is beyond medicine. You think she's possessed? I believe it's possible. And a grown man wearing a dress singing to his imaginary friend is the answer? Father, can they have a moment with Naomi, please? I can return later this afternoon. Thank you. May the Lord work through you. May you get a real job someday. Grace. I hope they can keep it up so that it doesn't get into the feeling, okay, okay, that's Grace, and that it stops being funny. Although it's streaming, it's Netflix, they do take a little bit of risk here to lose some people of a religious or semi-religious background as well as the F-bombs that are in this episode. On purpose, I didn't include them in the fragment I took, because I don't know if you could appreciate that in the podcast. I really had to watch the section about the nanites and the AI and the interaction between them and who did what even three times. And I still don't fully understand because Marcy is talking about this D13 and she injects the nanites into the kid. Where did she get these nanites? I understand now that Grace is uh, is, uh, reprogramming the nanites and that should help. But it's a bit, bit confusing. And I have a nitpick about transferring, I think, the nanites to Trevor because he was then bitten by this girl. In the beginning, we see nothing, and then later on, we see a little bit of blood on his sleeve, but she bit him through his sweater, and, well, getting infected in that way. I I didn't understand why the makers of the the series didn't choose for giving him bare arms instead of a, a, a sweater over it. And then later on, we see the fact that the electrical charge is causing the nanites to seize, the AI to seize. I really have to rewatch again, I think. Bit confusing. And then later on, 
Trevor is so-called okay again and then not. I really wonder what the role of Ilsa is and the role of the director and the role of this self-learning AI program is actually this AI program or Ilsa the origin of the director itself, although we get a nice time travel loop then. David with his gun was very funny again, and how Marcy <laughs> took care of that. Now, you know what? Uh, it's my gun. I bought it legally, and now I'm cleaning it. David, it's loaded. Not like I was going to pull a trigger. Never, ever clean a loaded gun. Okay. Good to know. As said by you in the last podcast, is David there for comic relief or does he really get a more substantial role? I think in funny lines and funny phrases, this should be also a little bit unexpected. And if David is only there for comic relief, you are just awaiting that. It takes a while because if the writing is good and the lines are perfect, it, it remains comical, but... At a certain point, it loses its effects. Last point, the video that Grant shows Kat about her own request for giving her the drug. Very smart, but how did they get her to say these things? Did she really want it dead? Or is this perhaps a manufactured, edited piece of video? Okay, that was all, leaving me in a... A little bit of confusion. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. After I posted a fragment of the interview with Eric McCormack about binging and about how Netflix deals with his uh, figures, a nice discussion on the Facebook page evolved between Doug Raptree, you Dave, and mainly David Hayworth and myself. And I have more or less the conclusion that the whole thing of binging is, of course, not too good for podcasting and for people who give feedback for podcasts. The disadvantages of uh, all at once release are, of course, for podcasts and people who give feedback for podcasts. But on the other hand, I also find it sometimes difficult in the water cooler discussions with my colleagues because... I always have to ask first, where are you? How much have you watched? So it even diminishes an easy water cooler discussion because normally if you have just one episode a week, well, somebody can be behind for a week or something, but you don't have to pay attention to not giving other spoilers. With all at once releases, if you know somebody else is not as far as you are, well, if you are a nice guy, you won't discuss it any further. So it's not, well, a good thing in that sense. And one of the other more or less conclusions was, well, I said something like, why don't you make just one episode of eight hours in streaming services without advertisements? It wouldn't matter. And actually, when I watch a series, I sometimes watch an episode just before I go to sleep uh, in my bed and then uh, sometimes I'm so tired and stop after 20 minutes and then watch the rest the next day. In that sense, having an episode of eight hours and doing that 20 times wouldn't be so bad. 
David and I thought that better constructed episode of one and a half hour, and then, for instance, three till six episodes per season wouldn't be that bad. And actually, the old-fashioned so-called miniseries is of that construction. I know some miniseries of three till six episodes of, well, let's say 90 minutes or 75 minutes, which were quite nice. And you yourself, Dave, said, personally, I prefer the compartmentalized 42 to 50 minute uh, episodic approach. I rarely watch movies anymore. They are too just darn it long. My best approach for genre shows is a 10 episode season of 42, 45 minute episodes released once a year. And I noticed that all even 13 episode seasons contain some filler material that could be tipped. Well, great discussion. And I think the whole binge discussion uh, should be closed here. Not talking about it again and again. Breeds, Fred. All right. Now, Fred, the thing about binging, and, and it's funny because obviously you and I have talked about binging uh, again over the past few years. And, and I even have plans to do a take five about binging. I just have never gotten around to you know, writing anything down. But... Yeah, it's just something I guess we got to live with. I mean, you know, Netflix, Amazon Prime, I mean, they've become ubiquitous in all areas of television, not just science fiction. So it's just there. I I don't know, as podcasters, we've talked about the difficulty it it brings up, but, you know, it is what it is. Right, yeah. I mean, that Pandora's box has been opened and, uh, you know, just, you, you can't, you, you can't go back and, and, you know, he, he has a great point there. And, and we talked about this a little bit last week, so not to belabor it, but it's just, you know, gone are those days where you can, you know, the water cooler, Hey, did you see the most recent episode of lost? Yeah. You know, like, you know, it's, well, I mean, lost is not anymore, but I mean, you get, yeah, sure. You know, of course you get to feel like, you know, like that, I mean, there still are net network television shows out there that you can do that with, but let's face it, the, some of the most popular TV shows being made now are being made on Netflix and Hulu and, and, uh, Amazon prime that, uh, that, you know, they launch them all at once. Now that being said, I'm just saying Fred game of Thrones. Right, exactly. And outlander for that matter. <laughs> I yep. said to my wife last night, it, it ended. I'm like, you must be effing kidding me. It's like, you know what? I'm going to Wikipedia. I'm going to get a synopsis of the novel. I don't care. And my wife's like, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. What are you trying to do? Cut my balls off and put them in your purse? Oh, no, I, nice. yeah. Yeah, I think I know better than that. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you know, it's just – so I, I don't know, Fred. I think the, the answer practically – is to do what you know Wayne and I've been doing which is you, you go you start with a good faith attempt to watch one episode a week and then it's like the hell with it and you just watch it and then you go back week to week for the podcast and oh okay I didn't realize that oh now that makes sense and and you start picking things up and yeah for the casual viewer it's probably going to be the same thing I guess so it- yeah, because, you know, I mean, the thing is, like, obviously, 
we're we are we don't make money podcasting so this isn't a full-time gig so it's not like we could you know do a week that we could dedicate because we do a show every single day you know we, we can't can't do that you know um you know like we we go obviously we pretty much binge it because it's we like the show we, we after we've done the one episode was we the next one but uh you know we we then go you know a episode at a time to really look into each episode in depth which we wouldn't be able to do if we just talked about the whole season all at once well right and i mean the whole idea of sci-fi tv rewatch is to look at shows yeah. that have already aired and and of course we've kind of you know transitioned into you know what we're doing with shows like dark the librarians which is incended and, and travelers and kind of do both but the fact of the matter is that plenty of people are going to discover travelers next year and hopefully they'll say oh oh there's already this podcast i you know just right. start binging right. our they could binge the podcast exactly binge the show binge the podcast yeah Right. So now, now Fred brings up Grace, who we, we talked to, and I think we just have to accept that 0027 is just this self-absorbed know-it-all whose attitude is wearing a bit thin. And like I said, if it wasn't for Jen Spence, I'd probably be done with Grace. But yeah. but she is still. I, I enjoy her. I, think I, I know. I know. Now, now, the other thing Fred brings up, uh, the comments about the priest and the F-bombs and whether that sort of thing is going to negatively impact viewers. Uh, I don't think the F-bombs will. And, you know, I'm sorry. I, I've seen enough television. I'm astute enough. I'm sensitive enough. No, look, there's clearly an anti-Catholic sentiment that runs through a lot of TV these days. And I'm sorry yeah. if you don't believe that, but not you, but yeah. th- it's true. Now, yeah. I don't feel Travelers has been guilty of that. And I don't look at this episode until now. Well, yeah, I I just think, you know what? I think it's lazy writing more than anything. I I think it just, it, it, again, I I could very well be wrong and I'm probably am, but you know, it just seemed like the writers had a little bit of ax to grind and wanted to kind of pontificate about religion. Ironically enough, I use that word. Um, you know, about religion here. And, you know, like, again, the Catholic church does take its, uh, its, its bruisings on, um, you know, in, in popular media and probably has some, well, not probably, it definitely is some historical, uh, reasons that, that, that that's happening and everything. And, and, you know, that's fine. Um, you know, as a Catholic, I watch this and, you know, I mean, First of all, I, I get it. It's just a show. Um, I get the what she says about religion. I understand how people who um, are not religious see it as, you know, like hocus pocus and people believing in fairy tales and stuff. So, and again, that's 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 all fine. And I guess uh, most people who watch a show like Travelers, I imagine, are going to be pretty open-minded people anyway, and, and wouldn't get too fussed about this now. The f bombs is another thing, like you know, because we've noticed it before. There's a lot more uh, in this season than there were before, and that's something again, um, you know, might 
potentially turn people off. And I guess that's kind of a risk you take when you, you do things like that. There is some risk involved because there's potentially people who would be insulted by that and no longer watch it. Right. You know, and, and just to, you know, piggyback on, on the Catholicism point, look, look, again, the Catholic Church is guilty of quite a lot, and it has a lot to answer for. There's no question. And to personally, as I said earlier in the discussion, what bothered me more was the, uh, the fact of a parishioner calling up the parish priest and say, hey, can you come out and perform an exorcism? Because we know there'd be so many levels of permission that would have had to been gone through, and clearly that didn't happen. So anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that there. Now, Fred brings up whether or not the director evolves out of this AI-ILSA combination, and, and, and I think a- absolutely. But when you think about it, it is really a dangerous thing to allow to happen, particularly in particularly when you realize that these people are from the future. Again, have you not seen the Terminator? And, yeah. and, but, but just that whole idea of machines running things. And, and you know, we talked uh, you know, the last couple of weeks about maybe the faction really are the good guys and that really machines should not be running things. But the fact that they allowed this to happen so casually does bother me they anyway. allowed the uh the the ai to join with ilsa yeah so yeah yeah okay so especially when we know that it's this ai that is an emerging consciousness in right. and of itself and that it apparently has been programmed to uh fight off any attempts to rein it in yeah, I mean right. it's a recipe for disaster. But well, in, in their defense, Dave, they're from the future and probably haven't seen any of the Terminator movies. That's what I was going with. <laughs> All right, now uh, I think the David Marcy storyline, like a lot of this episode, reminds us that Protocol Five is there for a reason, but how difficult it is for some members to maintain their lives. And we've talked about how, on one level. Trevor and Philip have it fairly easy because Trevor really doesn't have to answer to his parents. And he really never right. did, which I guess you could argue is not realistic that, uh, you know, his parents seem to be caring parents. They're not going to just let their senior son just do whatever he wants, come home whenever he wants. And, <laughs> things like right. that but well yeah, you remember in season one they actually did have some there, there was some of that you know of of him having to contend with parents and them putting limits on him and everything uh, uh, true 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 a- a- and then fred brings up the video that max shows cat and whether or not it's real and i never really thought about it until you know fred mentions it in his feedback but i certainly suppose they could have faked something uh, i the technology is is there well yeah that's i actually thought that and i, I had my notes to bring it up but I, I figured we'd talk about it when fred brought it up that yeah absolutely as i was watching like oh i wonder how they made that video because i mean when when would she actually say that right yeah so they they had to have you know, patched it together or, or fabricate, you know, obviously it's a, a fabrication of some kind 
Um, but yet, like, so really, really, really well done. Of course, maybe he didn't, like, give her a chance to really examine the video, like, in detail. Like, he kind of, like, shuts it off. Like, see, all right, see you there. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, where I would probably be like, play that back. Hold on. Wait a second. You know, cause she'd be so freaked out by it, but she just buys it. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, clearly fabricate how they did that. I don't know what I was wondering is, you know, was there something that happened earlier? Like when she was, you know, Oh, one had kidnapped her. Were they able to piece this together from the recordings? Did she make recording? See, I, I think, can't remember, but I, I think, think well, I think Perot was recording their conversation. So I, you know, I don't know, but I mean, like I said, it's obviously fabricated. But I was wondering how they did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, good stuff, Fred. And uh, you know, I'm sure you'll send us something for next week. But let's head on into the spoiler zone, which, uh, as we say each week, if you haven't completed the series, stop. Don't listen anymore. You know, download next week's podcast and and start there. But I've got just really one item that's officially spoiler zone. <laughs> but the other, I'm watching Continuum, and and this is still early uh, season two, episode four. It's the episode where they discover that Kira's partner made it through. Do you remember that one? Um. It's been a while for you. Not really. And you haven't seen it five times, but uh, so so she discovers that her, her partner had made it through. It's just that her partner, her, her her partner, like her work partner. Yes. Her work partner, Elena. Right. Okay. Yeah. I kind of remember that. And because Alec discovers that another suit has come online and, and she tracks it down and it was bought at a yard sale by this guy who is wearing it as cosplay to right. a wedding. Well, the guy is Patrick Gilmore, the guy that plays David. No kidding. But he's got an attractive girlfriend. And at the wedding, he laments to his friend. He doesn't understand why someone like her would be with someone like him. And I'm thinking like, really? I mean, is this yeah. like, is Patrick Gilmore fated to just play these kind of characters that <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, right. Yeah. But what I do have, what I do have for the spoiler zone is that I, I, I wonder whether the gunplay with David and Marcy foreshadows the deaths of both of them. You know, David in, in episode 309 where he's, he's shot. That's not, really what kills him it's the radiation that that eventually kills him but he is shot right. and and the the emotional trauma of being shot has to you know be be pretty impactful yeah and that was one of, that was one of the most shocking scenes in almost pretty much any show i just because like just they ended with that right yeah yeah you're just like what like what the hell Right. Like they just totally killed David just like that, almost as an afterthought. It's like, yeah. and then they did. Right. And, and then, and then, did. and then in episode 10, Marcy shoots herself to prevent zero zero one, who is now in Jeff from obtaining the, uh, the backdoor code that, that Ellis wrote. So is the gunplay we see here in episode five foreshadowing what's going to happen in nine and 10, you know, maybe. So, yeah, I think so. 
But if uh, they if they were knew that much ahead, or maybe they got I don't know. But yeah, I think so. so. All right. Uh, anything you want to add? Yeah, I don't think so. I, I I think I need to go back and watch the rest of it again because like uh, now I've forgotten like what happened in the rest of the season. So uh, yeah, I'll go back and watch it again. But but I mean. Uh, there was something, but I can't think of it. Well, oh, oh, Mitch is like, isn't he like, isn't that like the, the faction? Like the, the guy who's the, the leader of the, the therapy group. Oh, isn't he like, I, I, I'm I'm not sure, but I think he might be like, remember like the, the, the bad guy. And then Jeff ends up joining with those. Cause like, they're like, like that faction in the big warehouse they had the shootout and everything. Okay. Nope. I didn't pick that up. So I'm not sure. Okay. So I just threw that out there. Okay. All right. Well, we'll leave it there for the spoiler zone and for this episode of sci-fi TV rewatch. And I want to thank you guys for joining us. I'd like to hear what you think about travelers haunting of Hill house, which we'll be returning to anything else going on in genre TV encourage you to join the facebook group share your thoughts with the sci-fi tv rewatch community emails go to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com voicemails can go via the speak pipe tab which you can get on the website and we'll be back next week to take a look at season three episode six of travelers titled philip but until then you know what dave you can't ignore my feelings if you want us to continue <laughs>